This is Hooks and Runs, a podcast about baseball, music, and culture. Here are your hosts, Andrew, Craig, and Rex. Rex, how are you? I'm good, Craig. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we're going to talk later about the Astros signing Jose Abreu mm-hmm. yesterday. Big news for Houston Astro fans. But before we do that, we have a really special guest, our first international guest. Right. Danny Cohen is a Melbourne, Australia-based photographer and award-winning director. His feature debut film, Anonymous Club, is a portrait of one of my favorite musicians, Courtney Barnett, who I've talked about occasionally on the podcast. Cohen's film covers Barnett's path from her second LP, Tell Me How You Really Feel, which was released in 2018, to her 2021 album, Things Take Time, Take Time. The film debuted in the United States at South by Southwest in Austin in early 2022 and received rave reviews. It had a limited theatrical release Mm -hmm. this summer in the United States and is now available on streaming services. Before we end the podcast, we'll tell you how you can watch this really interesting film uh, from uh, Danny Cohen. But Danny, thank you for joining us from all the way in Australia. Thank you for the film. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to to chat about it. Um, it's been a little while but between times that I've chatted about it. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're, it's about to come out in the UK, so there's a whole bunch of new press stuff coming through. But yeah, yeah, it, I noticed it, it'd that. It'd be I good think, to kind of revisit it a bit fresh. Yeah, I think it was released earlier this month in the UK, correct? Uh, it's getting released in the UK in a couple of weeks. Oh, okay. Actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I noticed it's one of these films that kind of kind of has a rolling release. Yeah. Around the world. Um, it's very different to how like an album works, you know, where it's just released everywhere <laughs> one day. And, um, right. I think right. Courtney's camp, it was it was quite a, a different sort of way to do things is that, you know, there's distributors for each um, sort of territory throughout the world and uh, you've got to do the festival circuit first and all that sort of stuff. It, it, it just rolls out slowly. So you got your start in uh, photography and music videos, which gathered you some success. What... Uh, what prompted the transition into uh, feature films and documentaries? Pretty, pretty much Courtney, really. Like I, I mean, I had always wanted uh, to do long form. Uh, I think when I made the shift from photography to music videos, I just felt like it was such a collaborative process, and it was it was just so nice to have a, a, a full team around you. I felt photography was a little bit isolating. You know, when I made the jump to music videos, that was really exhilarating, and I felt at home and. And then I guess after X amount of years of doing some music videos and um, chatting to Courtney and doing some work with her in the music video sort of space, it kind of just felt like the next logical progression of our sort of creative collaboration to do something that was longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of like, you know, not fell into my lap because obviously there's a lot of work that led to that, but the idea of it just kind of came out of nowhere. And yeah, h- how could you say no? Right. So you do have a connection with Courtney Barnett through photography and video production, and uh, I assume uh, just getting to know her and friendship. Uh, so I guess it's not yeah. real surprising if you're going into feature films that this would be a subject you would select. But you chose an interesting uh, you chose an interesting approach to this in which you gave Courtney a, a a recorder and asked her to make an audio diary and it went on for some period of time. Can you talk about how that idea began? Yeah, I mean, um, Courtney kind of 
and I never, you know, I never blame her, and I'd probably be the same. But she is a little bit shy in front of cameras, and you know, it's naturally like everyone's concerned what they're going to say, and you know how they say it, and all that sort of stuff. And I guess I kind of wanted to give her the freedom to be able to talk about whatever she wants to talk about without the pressure of the camera um, on her. And so the idea of this sort of dictaphone recorder device came along. And it was just a way for her to be able to talk about whatever she wanted to talk about um, in her own time, in her own space, without feeling that sort of pressure. And I, I just knew that it would it would help the film go to the depth that I think it re- it required in order for us to kind of really get a glimpse inside her, her her way of thinking. The dictaphone that you used is really almost like a a um, an unseen character, mostly unseen character. And and mm. it seemed like really shaped the film. Was the film that you wound up with in 2021 anything like the film you imagined it would be in 2018 when you began? Oh yeah, totally different. You know, I had no idea what that story was going to be going into it, which I think is how documentaries usually work. Um, you just hope that you find something along the way, and, and you know, as those recordings were coming in and the sort of things that Courtney was talking about kept reoccurring. I still didn't know if that's something that I felt comfortable telling that that side of the story, and um, especially Courtney being a friend, and you know how much can I share, and battling with that versus also, well, you know, the, for the weight of people to connect and for Courtney to inspire, I think people need to feel that she's being real. You know, they need to have that um, sense that she's really opening up, and we're getting a, a proper glimpse um, into her world. So. Um, yeah, it was it was totally different, and you know, in the best way possible, because I think that's the way they should be. I, 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 I think that the, that was one of the things. The length of time that that Courtney was on the audio diary seemed to create a certain authenticity about her and a realness that you often don't see in music documentaries, where there's always a camera. And uh, knowing her and working with her for the period of time that you did, did you did you also see that that happen with her? that breakdown of the facade yeah, of the definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think just um, the dictaphone as a device or as a narrative device um, naturally does that because I think once you start talking into it, you kind of you forget that you're recording um, and you kind of forget that there's a, there's a presence in the room um, or you know that what you're saying might be used down the track. Um, so I think you just get lost in talking and your thoughts and, you know, it always tell it is just to feel like she's chatting to me on the phone and so I think when you get carried away there um, for you know sure the best good or bad um, you, you just reveal a lot of things and I think that's, that's the strength of the film and Courtney's courage to to be so vulnerable. So Craig tells me you had over 30 hours of film to edit down to an 83 minute movie uh, which is just insane to me uh, how did your previous experience help you tackle that monumentous task? Um, yeah, it's tricky because I was shooting on film, so there really wasn't that much footage available. I had to kind of really pick my moments of when I would roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that sort of footage ended up being live footage. So then the amount of footage I had that actually, you know, was Courtney in and around the world. Um, there wasn't a lot to choose from, so. Hmm. Um, but you know, I tried to always pair things that had a contrast, and 
or helped elicit a certain feeling that the dictaphone entries, you know, to kind of back up those sort of feelings or vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I worked with the same editor that I've worked with on all my music videos. So, um, you know, he knows how I work and each of those scenes are quite small. Um, I don't know if they feel like music videos, but it's definitely meant to feel like a stream of consciousness in terms of how it all flows out and they're kind of these, these mini sort of scenes that aren't necessarily connected. So maybe that's how it relates to uh, my music video sort of background. So, uh, yeah, I think um, one one thing I noticed watching the film and knowing that you have the music video background is at times you seem to do a lot of jump cuts, and at other times there seem to be extended cuts, including one period of time where the screen is dark and it's just Courtney's voice. And so where did you get the inspiration, I guess, to vary the way the the editing uh, proceeded through the film? I guess to just kind of a feeling on what what feels right like you know we kind of did a really hard cut that time from um courtney screaming on stage to then hard cutting to her ironing her shirt in a hotel room it was very quiet and you can just hear the iron going and it's kind of playing with those contrasts um and in those sorts of moments there's also humor as well that comes into it i think where it feels like you know one night you're screaming and then later that night you're just ironing your shirt um (laughs) <laughs> doing something quite domestic. Um, and then, you know, that scene where I, I kind of just had the grain, the black grain, um, it just felt like the dictaphone entry was so powerful and so raw. And it was like, what could I possibly provide the audience with visually um, that matched that or took away from it or distracted from it? I just kind of, I knew I needed to have that um, recording in there, but it's just so tricky to you know anytime you add vision to the dictaphone there you are presenting a point of view and um in some way uh, you know poor choice here of words but you are manipulating the audience to feel a certain thing um and so in that case there i was just really wanting to make sure that people could could hear and feel um what she was experiencing one thing that I noticed about the film when it came to the live performances was that you relied heavily on back shots, shots from behind the stage, which catches the back of the of the performer and brings the audience forward. And that's a technique, and it also hides the artist's face. And that's a technique that Martin mm-hmm. Scorsese used to great effect in his documentary film, The Last Waltz. And I wonder mm-hmm. uh, what was appealing to you about that approach especially for to me an artist that is very expressive when she performs i mean shooting from that perspective on stage um from behind courtney was kind of a choice to show or to kind of put the audience in courtney's shoes and just what it feels like to be on stage um whether that is an isolating experience or whether that is a liberating experience or how you might feel you know nerves wise playing in front of all those people just trying to show the audience her perspective of what that feels like and you know the film really helps you know uh, it grounds things in a, a sense of reality so i guess i was just trying to make those moments feel as as realistic as possible and yeah i mean i, I feel like there are times that i show courtney's like incredible ability to perform um throughout it but i but i was trying to you know show a different side that people may not 
um, see regularly. I think that uh, Courtney has a really unique gift for language, and you featured a mm-hmm. couple of songs in the uh, film that um, ex- that are kind of bring that to, to to life. One of them is Avant Gardener, which is essentially a song mm-hmm. about her having an asthma attack while gardening, and yeah. uh, the other is Depreston, which is my favorite song of hers, which is essentially a song about a 20-something shopping for a house in the suburbs. Very mundane stuff when you talk about it, but she brings these mundane parts of life to life with her expressive uh, use of language in her lyrics. And I wonder if you think there's a connection, knowing her, uh, between her ability to really hone in on these small pieces of uh, daily life and what is really for her in the film a lot of anxiety and a lot of almost imposter syndrome about about her. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the way Courtney processes those sorts of feelings um, and anxieties and whatnot. And it's kind of um, an outlet for her to observe and interpret and um, make sense of it all um, and how she's feeling. And um, I think in part of that, it's... I mean, I find her lyrics... Um, there's like a humor to them, the way they sort of fold over each other. And um, yeah, I, I kind of find that that's, that's her way of dealing with um, the situation she's in or um, being, being in and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. One of the things that really uh, stood out to me from the film was, on the one hand, I consider Courtney Barnett to be a somewhat prolific artist. She's released four albums in the last six or so years when her most recent album came out and yet there seems to be a lot of writer's block uh, for her and um, that seems to be a contrast between the perception of her as a very prolific songwriter and performer yeah I mean I guess what happens is the album cycle is you know you record the album or you write the album record the album tour the album and then when all your time is spent touring and doing press and all that sort of stuff you know it's, it, you have to be in a certain space to come back to to be creative or you need those sort of life experiences to help spur on that creativity i think this is my assumption of it so um yeah i guess maybe that rise block comes from the idea of that you know you've finished um touring an album and you've taken some time off and now it's time to do it again that's like that's what happens and so maybe if you force that or um you know haven't had the material to write from or um you know there's other things going on in your life maybe it might just be a little trickier but um i think the best thing to do there is just keep keep trying and let it kind of bubble up naturally which i think is what courtney did and um you know she produced a, an awesome record absolutely so give us a sense of how popular courtney barnett is in australia I mean, I would probably say she's more popular in the States um, than she is in Australia. Um, and maybe there's a, there's a larger um, fan base there. I mean, sure, there's, there's more people in America, um, a lot more, but um, just the reception, I, I feel like I, I noticed, you know, different type of reception over in the States, and I think in general um, the music scene's much bigger there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not a place that she she 
she plays that often. I think each album cycle she'll definitely play, and she plays big venues. And, um, I know the albums are really well, but um, yeah, it definitely feels like her fan, her, her bigger fan base is overseas. So, where can we find more about your work and uh, you know see other stuff that you've made? Good question. I guess my website, um, which I haven't updated in a bit, but that's that's probably where I will update it, okay. which is just you know my name dot com. We'll put that in the show notes. Absolutely, and uh, cool. we watched the video—not the video. We watched the we watched the movie Anonymous Club through Amazon Prime. Do you know where else it's streaming? Yeah, I'm not sure about the states. Um, best to check out the Anonymous Club website, which is anonymousclubfilm.com, and that kind of has links to to where everyone can watch it around the world. Absolutely. Well, we will have a link to the film and to Danny Cohen's website on the show notes. So absolutely go down and check those out. The film is still being released around the world. And uh, it is if you're any kind of fan of uh, popular music and particularly a fan of Courtney Barnett, you're going to want to watch this film. This is the director, Danny Cohen, and the film is called Anonymous Club. And Danny, thank you for, uh, for coming on and telling us about this uh, wonderful movie. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Have a good day. So, Rex, as I mentioned before we started, the Astros made a major signing I yesterday. I saw that. Jose Abreu, the 2020 American League Most Valuable Player, is now a Houston Astro. He has been with the White Sox since he broke into the, to the uh, major leagues about 10 years ago. He's been the centerpiece of um, some pretty good White Sox teams, and I think everybody knew that first base was a priority for the Astros, mm-hmm. and I guess the question was, will they sign another first baseman or try to bring a, a Yuli Gurriel back, and we ended up getting what I think is the best option available among a lot of first basemen on the market, Jose Abreu. Absolutely. The interesting thing about the signing to me is that just a couple of weeks ago, the Astros parted ways with their general manager, James Click, mm-hmm. and apparently the team owner, Jim Crane, is not afraid to make major moves without having hired a replacement. There you go. <laughs> so we had talked at one point about kind of our fear that he's becoming a Jerry Jones type, wanting a lot of hands-on uh, control, but if this is his idea of hands-on control, I think uh, we want to see a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, it gives Ray a chance to be on the winning team. <laughs> so Jose Abreu was incredible in 2020, the COVID-shortened season. He hit 317 with 19 home runs, 60 runs batted in. That projects out to about 50 home runs and about 150 RBIs, give or take. Uh, the year, the next year, the next year in 2021, he had 261 with 30 home runs. Last year, meaning 2022. He dropped to 15 home runs, 75 RBIs, playing 157 games, but he hit 304. And with a player that's going to be 36 in January, there's always concern about the inevitable decline. Right. But I kind of feel like this is a good deal for Houston. Three years takes him to age 38, through his age 38 season. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see this particular ball player having a huge drop-off. And I think he's going into a better overall environment. Chicago was kind of a, kind of a, I don't want to say it was a train wreck. It wasn't quite that bad, but it was definitely not the year they wanted in Chicago with Tony La Russa. All right. 
no playoff appearance. So the Astros are still looking for an outfielder. I've read that they've had conversations with Brandon Nemo, the New York Mets center fielder. They uh, had some conversations with Cody Bellinger, 2019 National League most valuable player who has been absolutely horrendous the last three years since that mm-hmm. uh, that MVP season. And somebody's going to take a flyer with Bellinger, but it looks like it won't be Houston. I know we do need to fill that section out there. You do need one more one more outfielder to play outfield who possibly can play some first base and possibly do some DHing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it looks like the Astros are not are not going to go quietly. They're going to they're going to continue to be in the market as we see them as much as anybody on who's talking to who. Absolutely. Got a ton of stuff to come in the off season on the Astros as they prepare for their World Series title defense so anyway do you have anything for check it out actually i do just today municipal waste dropped their new video for crank the heat modern thrash classics municipal waste this is from their uh seventh studio album electric brain electrified brain sorry about that um much like all other municipal waste videos uh if you watched them before they're they're hilarious and they're a lot of fun this is no exception it's got that cool sweet old favorite thrash sound so you know i love it so check it out municipal waste crank the heat okay never heard of this band how long they've been around oh they've been around for about a decade or so it's odd because they're, you know, thrash, everybody thinks thrash is this, you know, it was, it was this genre back in the late 80s and stuff. And these kids, I mean, man, they, they straight up sound like it's 1986. I love it, man. <laughs> so like an anthrax. Oh, man. Yeah. More, more like S.O.D. So, and, you know. So you sent me a, a link today to a festival that had as a hashtag shoegaze. I think one of the bands playing actually is one of the games. bands because okay. there's multiple bands this is, playing. This is Rex's continued quest to figure out exactly what shoegaze music what is. is. That stuff? but uh, but I also noticed they had hashtags for metal and heavy metal, and I think they're just well, there's Saint Mastiff too. I mean, there's there's multiple different bands. I, I I love it in the fact that they're playing at the little bitty tiny Jasmine Hall Community Center there in Lake Jackson, and when we were 16 and 17 years old, we played there. So oh, wow. you know, I have to go to that show. <laughs> well, I have a uh, a little bit different for me. It's not music this week. It is the Netflix series Wednesday which released all eight episodes of season one on November 23rd. I have watched two, and it has been a real treat. It stars Jenna Ortega as Wednesday Adams, the title character. The first two episodes were directed by one of my favorite directors, Tim Burton. And I'll tell you, this really is good. The reviews have been very positive. This is the latest in the Adams Family reboots, with Wednesday as the featured performer or the featured uh, character obviously there's very little at least through two episodes of the other characters you may be familiar with from either the movies and what was it the 80s or the 90s probably the 90s i still remember the old TV and then the show. Old, yeah, yeah that's, and that's if, where i love if you go back family. far enough like we do the old tv show from the 60s so this is very dark and edgy as you would expect from a combination of the adams family with tim burton as the director and uh, it's part murder mystery, part coming-of-age drama, and part dark comedy. So far, Ortega is brilliant as the title character, Wednesday Adams. She is carving out a niche in her career, uh, Miss Ortega is, as the go-to horror goth girl. 
after Star turns in Scream and A24, the movie X, is it A24? Studio A24? Studio A24. Yeah. She was in that as well. And here she gets all the great lines and plays the 16-year-old Wednesday with moody detachment appropriate for a 16-year-old teen girl with special powers. This show rates an 8.5 on the Internet Movie Database, a perfect five stars from the LA Times, 4.5 out of 5 on Paste. It's getting great reviews. The few outlets that are not giving it good reviews, I think they're just sticks in the mud. This is a fun series, and I'm very bad about finishing seasons and finishing shows, but I'm kind of making a promise to myself I'm going to watch somehow over the holidays the remaining six episodes of season one i was really surprised when i saw this on your check it out list i was just like really craig okay i like tim burton i love the adams family the whole uh -huh. thing and i didn't know any of these actors that are in this and the storyline seemed to be a little bit buffy the vampire slayer type yeah see that's that, that, that's my hesitation to watching it is it seems really overly silly it's not okay, okay. <laughs> it's not it's not. I think it's uh, very well written and very well directed, and the the uh, the scene, the 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 whole imagery of it is. Uh, if you like Tim Burton, you're going to like it, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, Wednesday on Netflix, and I've so far two out of eight, and I'm in. All right, I'm hooked. So anyway, uh, we have a Discord. There will be a link in the show notes. We mm -hmm. invite you to join as we listen to the train. Ah yes, good out. old Bay City. You're not, you're not, you, you know, you're in Bay City if there's constant train whistles blowing. <laughs> so look for the link in the show notes for our Discord channel and uh, join the discussion there. We'll keep it going through the week until next week. And um, otherwise, anything else? We got uh, uh, we got one of three of our ballpark series done. I'm looking forward to the, the rest two of are those coming in January. In December, we've got our bowl preview right before christmas and our year-end music review after christmas and some other fun stuff in between and i think that train is coming right at us i think it's coming straight for us <laughs> so it's this will ride be, right through the middle it's of the coming right through the middle of crazy carl so we better sign off and protect ourselves y'all have a great week we'll see you next time this has been hooks and runs a podcast about baseball music and culture we invite you to subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice and to rate and review us. Hooks and Runs will be back next Thursday. We hope to see y'all then. Thank y'all for listening.